Hey, welcome to another episode of More Than Bread. We are in the midst, about a quarter of the way through, a More Than Bread series for Lent. Lent is meant to be a time of preparation leading up to our celebration of the resurrection, Easter. So our theme for this Lent series is preparing for more. How do we prepare for more? So far, we we set up the series as we talked about suffering and the wilderness. We've talked about 40 days and three-day stories, and we've talked about the, the Spirit of God. In so many ways, the Spirit of Christ is the more of God. And so we focused on that quite a bit in Luke chapter 4, as we looked at Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. In the last episode, we set the stage for the next, I don't know, 10 to 15 plus episodes, as we look at three streams, three families of practices, spiritual disciplines, fasting, almsgiving, and repentance. Those are mentioned all the time in Lent, in connection to Lent. I'm going to talk about them with three giving words. We're going to talk about giving up, we're going to talk about giving away, and we're going to talk about giving in. And we're starting with the giving up family of practices at the heart of giving up is fasting, giving up food or, or something else in order to let our souls get hungry for God. You know, there's so many examples and stories of fasting in scripture. Well, one of my favorites and, and one that is so appropriate for this series is the example of fasting found in the book of Jonah. And the reason it's one of my favorites is because there is a powerful revival-esque response to the fasting of a city. And the reason it's so appropriate is because like the story of Jesus, there's both a 40-day and a three-day story in the book of Jonah. And, and more importantly, Jesus himself saw a pretty intense, pretty deep connection between his story and Jonah's story, almost like Jonah contains the seeds of the gospel. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42. Says then some of the teachers of the law and the proud religious law keeper said to Jesus, Teacher, we'd like you to do something special for us to see. He said to them, The sinful people of this day look for something special, something special to see. But there will be nothing special to see but the powerful works of the early preacher Jonah. Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of a big fish. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the grave also. The men of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, will stand up with the people of this day on the day people stand before God. And those people will say, these people are guilty because the men of Nineveh were sorry for their sins and turned from them when Jonah preached. And yet, see, someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was in the well for three days, like Jesus was in the tomb for three days, and Jonah preached to Nineveh for 40 days while they fasted for 40 days, like Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Not long ago, we did a series at Calvary that focused on emptying practices, practices that help us make space for God, silence and solitude, surrender and simplicity, and fasting. And and fasting, if you think about it, is the bedrock discipline for every emptying practice, right? I mean, we typically think of fasting from food, from eating, but silence is fasting from noise. Solitude is fasting from people, in person or virtual. Surrender is fasting from control. Simplicity is fasting from stuff. Forgiveness is fasting from being offended and bitter. In Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus talks about three core spiritual practices, prayer, generosity, and fasting, 
He, he uses the word when, not if. He says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. See, Jesus expected a thriving spiritual life to include the practice of fasting. Not just, remember, not just trying hard, but training hard. Jesus practiced fasting. It was a significant part of his 40 days in the wilderness to prep for ministry. Like I said in a previous episode, the Bible is full of 40-day stories and three-day stories. When we dive into the book of Jonah, we dive in because it contains one of the most inspiring stories of fasting in all of Scripture. But but I love the fact that Jonah contains both a three-day story and a 40-day story. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord this time around, not the first time. And he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it, just like he was three days in the belly of the whale. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, overthrown, brought down by God. And Nineveh was a wicked city. It was filled with arrogance and racial injustice and the persecution of God's people. It took Jonah three days to walk through the city, telling the people of Nineveh that they had 40 days before God's judgment, kind of an overlapping of a three-day and a 40-day story. But if you know Jonah, you may remember it was a three-day story that brought him to Nineveh, right? Three days Jonah spent in the belly of a big fish because he was trying to run from God. So three-day stories, we said, are stories of quick redemption. Problem solved, hope regained, darkness changed to light in the space of a long weekend. We all love three-day stories. That's Jonah's story. Swallowed by a great fish, hanging out at the very bottom of the ocean, surrounded by darkness, helpless and hopeless. All he can do is cry out to God. So in Jonah 2, 1, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. What was Jonah praying? (laughs) Real basically, he's praying, God, save me. It it doesn't say it in the text, but I'm I'm guessing it was, God, save me and let me go out the same way I came in. And on which day was Jonah saved? The third day. The very essence of our faith is the three-day story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And and that's what we're aiming towards this Lent season. We're aiming for the three-day celebration from Good Friday to Easter Sunday, But first comes the 40 days of preparation. You know, the Bible is also full of 40-day stories. Noah was in the ark for 40 days. Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments for 40 days. Jesus began his ministry with 40 days in the wilderness. And again, in the book of Jonah, Jonah's eight-word message gave a deadline of 40 days to repent before God's judgment. Jonah 3, 4 says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And like we said before, if three-day stories are kind of microwaved hope, 40-day stories are slow cooker stories. It's not the exact number of days that count. It's just it's long enough to disrupt our routine, but short enough to see an ending. 40-day stories are often times of, of preparation. And one of the preparation themes of the book of Jonah that you have to dig a little to find is the theme of idols. This goes a little bit with the giving in, not just the giving up, but the theme of of idols. Jonah's prayer in the belly belly of a whale includes these words in Jonah 2.8. 
those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I want to say that again. I I want those words to kind of stick in our stick in our craw, saturate our souls just a little bit. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. If we cling to worthless idols, we turn away from God's love for us. When we cling to worthless idols, we turn away from God's love for us. We, we can't turn our heart in both directions. In other words, if we want to prepare for the more of God, we got to stop clinging to worthless idols. In a sense, Jonah's posting a definition of an idol that ties into our season of preparing for more through fasting, right? Because an idol turns our hearts away from God's love, but fasting helps us empty out the idols. All the things that we go to for comfort, for control, for momentary satisfaction. What are the idols? I mean, idols are anything that we rely on for blessing, strength, and life other than God. It's the stuff we cling to that causes us to turn away from God's love. It it fills us up and takes space away from God. It could be a a spiritual relic from a sacred shrine or an addiction, but it could be food. But sometimes idols are more devious and and hard to spot. Idols can be good things that have become God things. Tim Keller writes, sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. And ultimately, whatever we build our life on will drive and enslave us. And those good things aren't evil things, right? I mean, there are good things that you're filling your life up with. They're not evil things, but when we try to put good things in the place of God, it it leads to anxiety and addictions, envy, bitterness, resentment. The, the anxiety-ridden nature of the next generation, I think in, in large measure, is coming because we're trying to put good things in the place of God. But fasting empties the idols. Fasting helps us uncling our heart's idols. Fasting helps us set aside the good things that have become God things. Fasting uncovers the hungers of my heart. Even if all I'm fasting from is food, it helps to begin to uncover the hungers of my heart. So here's a, here's a good principle to dive into. You, you were made with a hole in your heart that only God can fill. Everyone hungers and thirsts. It's a God thing. But if we cling to idols, the hunger becomes an addiction. You can get addicted to anything, right? Social media, Netflix, food, the approval of others, success at work, even a good cause. If it's a good thing that's not God, the hunger is never satisfied. And so the idol becomes an addiction. But when we make space for God, our desires bring life. Because the desire, the hunger isn't bad. In fact, God created us with built-in desire. We all have a hunger in our soul, a restlessness, a desire to be satisfied. The question is, where are we going to get filled up? And there's a hunger and a thirst deep inside of you that nothing will touch, nothing except Christ. And Christ is more than enough. I'm not merely saying he can do more than enough or that he has more than enough. I'm saying that in and of his glorious self, he is more than enough. I'm saying that if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have more than enough. And if you have everything but Jesus, your hunger for life will never be satisfied. 
So if my soul is so stuffed with the small stuff of everything but Christ, then here's the question. Am I willing to stop feeding at banquet tables where the main course is not Christ? I mean, if it's necessary, will I let go of the good to go hard after God? Do I have, and if not, do I want a gloriously gut-wrenching hunger for Christ? What our hearts hunger for is God. Uh, Tim Stafford tells a story. He had worked for about three months washing dishes in a Connecticut diner, and during a conversation with a waitress, the George Harrison song, My Sweet Lord, My Sweet Lord, My Sweet Lord, I Really Want to Know You, came on the radio in the back room, and hearing the words, the waitress just began to cry, just began to weep. And and she shared um, a religious experience as she heard it. She shared the, the experience she had had the day before with Tim. She was listening to that same song and, and again, burst helplessly into tears. She said, why, why do you think I did that? Tim Stafford says, I, I can tell you why. Because people are crying out. They're hungry for something that will satisfy their soul. It's happening right now all over our community. And this is at the very heart of Lent, our preparation for more. Please don't miss this. This is not just on us. God is wooing us back to his heart. It's a call to uncling our hearts from idols and pay attention to God. Make space for the soul-satisfying treasure of Christ. That's where fasting comes in. In Jonah 3, 5 through 8, it says, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Let everyone call urgently on God. I really believe that we're in a season of emptying out the idols which comes from a season of fasting. And that, and I can't get away from that last line. Let everyone call urgently on God. See, fasting ignites a bit of urgency to our prayers. Fasting always goes along with prayer. It does. But it adds a bit of urgency to our prayers. And that word urgency always has to do with time. A 40-day story is a story with a deadline, but it's also one of those moments, those God-ordained moments that has to be seized, a season where in spite of the look of the circumstances, the windows of heaven are ready to pour out God's grace. So call urgently on God. I'm not trying to be dramatic. But this is on my heart. I believe we're living in days of expectancy. It's time to call urgently on God. In some ways, I think that ever since COVID, we've been in a 40-day story. But 40-day stories are meant to lead to a new normal. And new normals require change. And most change requires a certain sense of urgency that leads to an awful lot of practice. How urgent do you feel about making space for God? In you, in us, in our neighborhoods? Is it more of a, well, that would be nice, or is it more like, air, without it, I ain't going to make it? With fasting and prayer, Nineveh urgently called upon God. And we find later in Jonah's story that filled with compassion and grace, God responded. And one of the greatest revivals in history took place in one of the most wicked cities in history. 
You know, almost everyone knows the story of Jonah and the whale. Those who are skeptical of the miraculous usually focus on the question of how a whale, a big fish, whatever it was, could do that. That doesn't even turn my head. My head is turned and my jaw drops because of the 40-day story of a city that fasted and prayed and was transformed by the presence of God. You know, so often we talk about the battle in our lives between what's urgent and what's important, but in the 40-day story, we find that what is important has suddenly become very urgent. Fasting brings a sense of urgency to the emptying. <laughs> Listen, fasting is not a weight loss program. If you use it to gain followers on Instagram, you might as well eat. Fasting will not help you become an influencer with God. It's not a hunger strike trying to force God's hand. Fasting is an acknowledgement that we long for his presence, that we hunger for holiness. Fasting is a serious cry to God that we're tired of playing church while broken people still don't know his love. Fasting is not just self-discipline, it's self-denial. It's a denial of something that we can't live long without in the hopes of finding someone who will give us life forever. When we fast and pray with serious urgency, where we're telling God, I'm done being safely full of stuff that will never satisfy, and I'm ready to risk the refiner's fire as long as it comes with the presence of the refiner. Let me go back to Jesus, and we'll just finish there. This longing for the presence of Jesus is at the very heart of every fast. Don't just stop eating. Start hungering for Jesus. In Matthew 9, it says, One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast. Then we will fast. When we realize the emptiness of everything but Jesus, then we will fast. When we, when we sense the absence of his presence, then we will fast. See, fasting focuses our hunger for Jesus. Fasting is an urgent cry for a new story, a time of preparation, a time to empty out our idols and everything we cling to more than God, a time of fasting and prayer like Nineveh, crying out urgently to God, not just for you, for us. A normal fast would focus on food, and for many of us, that's a great place to start. But your fast might be something else. What is cluttering up your time, filling up your heart, clogging your ears? At the heart of fasting is emptying. What do I need to empty out so that I can be filled with something better? I want to end this episode with just a prayer from A.W. Tozier. It is the response of a heart with a deep longing for God. And I want to pray it over you, over everybody listening. And, and just kind of let these words, I'll say it in the first person, but let these words become your words, become your prayers, you hear it. Oh God, I have tasted your goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh, triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory. I pray that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, and come away. And then give me the grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long.
In Jesus' name, amen.